This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 772. The people buying now are the people who were buying in like 2009, right? Like those people were pumped that they bought in 2009. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to build wealth. It's not pretty now, but I think it'll be beautiful in the long run. We're always going to be pumped that we bought now, like 10 years from now. That's And I say that constantly. Tell me a person you know that bought a house 30 years ago that says, I wish I never would have done it. What's going on, everyone? This is David Green, joined by my fellow Avengers, Rob Abasolo and Henry Washington, with a special episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking about how to analyze deals in 2023 in the challenging market that we're in. And the reason that we are making this show is we actually received a one-star review on Apple Podcasts. And we wanted to share that with everyone so they can understand where we're coming from. The review was titled, It Used to Be My Favorite Podcast. And the reviewer says, I used to listen to the show religiously, but it feels like it gets more negative with each new episode I listen to. And it makes real estate investing seem unattainable. Now, that was a bit of a bummer. However, we understand where the person's coming from, right? The one-star review may not have even been reflective of us. It could have just been frustration with the market, or it might be that we're shooting straight with everybody. We're sort of in a position here where we could tell you that everything that glitters is gold and real estate is easy and you should quit your job and spend your whole day listening to us, replace your active income with passive income. But for those of you that are living in the real world, you've seen how unattainable that can actually feel. So the show is a reflection of what we're seeing in the market, and we value integrity over money. We're never going to tell you anything that we don't actually think will work, and it can feel like a bummer. We get it. So in today's show, we are going to be replying and responding directly to this concept that real estate feels unattainable and giving you some tips, techniques, and tricks that work in today's market, as well as where expectations could be set and what we are all doing to make deals where other people are missing them. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rent to retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's 
REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentalretirement.com today. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. Before we get to the show, today's quick tip is brought to you by me, and it is change your expectations when it comes to real estate investing and stop looking at it only for a cash on cash return. We are going to talk about the internal rate of return. We're going to talk about tax savings. We're going to talk about adding equity, buying equity, converting equity, a lot of more high level stuff when it comes to real estate investing that the savvy investors are using to still get returns on their money outside of just a straight cash on cash return. So think about real estate a little bit differently. And I think after today's show, we will have helped you do that. Anything you guys want to add before we get into it? Well, we'll uncover later that I'm not good at freestyling. So uh, so listen to the very end to understand this reference. But no. <laughs> that no. is perfect. Let's get into it. Rob Elt, Henry Washington, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. First and foremost, how are each of you today? Good. Good. Thanks for having me on, man. It's it's been a it's always been a dream to be on this show. Yeah, and I know you actually mean that today because you're not wearing a black pocket tee. You're wearing a white shirt. That's right. Your camera lighting is brighter than usual. You have a bit of an angelic glow as we're recording here. New year, new me, baby. Yes. Wonderful. And Henry, back in the perp as always. I see. Still looking cool. How are you today? I am fantastic, bud. Happy to be here talking to my buddy Rob. <laughs> And David. Yeah, thank you for the the uh, also ran mention there. And if people don't understand what I'm talking about, go follow us on YouTube. You will see more than you are just hearing, and all of this will make sense. Now, today's show is going to be a little different. We are venturing into territory that most podcasts are afraid to, but because I'm hosting this thing and I fear no evil, we're going to get right into it and direct this. We received a review about the show, which uh, I think bears repeating with everybody. So this came from... It was a review title that was labeled used to be my favorite podcast. And the reviewer said, I used to listen to the show religiously, but it feels like it gets more negative each new episode I listen to. And it makes real estate investing seem unattainable. And the three of us kind of put our heads together there and thought like, this is probably a common theme. A lot of people are feeling that they started listening to the bigger pockets podcast. They started listening to real estate investing online. And it was this really shiny blustery object like hey i don't know is blustery good i'm even thinking luster and i just added bluster so opposite of bluster lustery object very appealing and you're hearing all these stories of people that quit their job after six months or became multi-millionaires on the power of real estate investing and people charge into this thing super excited about real estate investing and then they either get their clock cleaned 
or they can't find the deal that people explain that they got and they get discouraged and think it's something wrong with them uh, or they buy bad deals because they're trying to figure out, well, if you just buy real estate, it's supposed to work. And then no one talks about it. No one, no one jumps up and screams, I lost a lot of money making bad decisions. They just sort of slink into a hole of shame and sit there. And we want to just have an honest response to this that real estate is harder than I think it's ever been. So let's start off with, with you, Rob. What is your overall experience with the market now versus when you first started investing? And when was that? Okay, I'm going to answer that. But before I do, I just want everyone at home to know that we read every single review and we take them all very seriously. When someone leaves us a five-star review, it makes our day. When someone leaves us a one-star review, which is rare, but that's what happened here, it, it bumps us out. We want to like make sure that the show uh, you know, relates to, to everybody. So going back to your question, David, what was it? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I was talking about how you never listened to me. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's on me. <laughs> what was real estate like when you first started investing and when was that? Uh, okay. So I started investing in 2017. Um, so around six, six years ago. And back then, I, I just for me, it was the Wild West. I think True Wild West for short-term rentals and Airbnb was probably like 2010 to 2014. Really, probably 2010 to 2017. Like You could have done anything and made money on Airbnb. But me getting in, that's when people started to sort of figure it out and figure out that you could actually make big money on it, right? Like at the beginning, it was sort of people just renting out a, a bed in their house and they were making like, you know, extra cash on the side. But 2017 is where people were like, oh man, we could rent an apartment and then put it on Airbnb and make like two or 3000 bucks a month. And so at that time, it was really, really, really hard to fail. And I, I will totally like never say that me getting into this and kind of building what I built was because of any particular genius. It wasn't because I I made the right decisions. It's just because I happened to get started when I got started. Not necessarily from a time standpoint, but I just started and figured it out relative to the market that I was in. And so I could really walk into any deal and have a large margin of error, right? The returns from 2017 to 2021 were pretty unreal. 2021 was the most money that anyone really ever made in this industry. And then 2022 and 2023, that's when we started to see the calibration and things hitting what I think is really back to normal. So a lot of people right now are sort of... They're a little nervous because they're like, oh my gosh, there's, you're making way less money. Like Overall, I would say most hosts are making between 15 to 30% less year over year on their properties. And that's a big hit, right? Like I can totally understand why anybody would be scared at that metric. But I think that that's a lot closer to what it was before 2020 and 2021. So when you sort of like evaluate everything, it does seem scary. But I just think that we're, we're calibrating to like more realistic and normal returns. Does that make sense? Yeah. 2021 was the era of steroids in baseball. There was an asterisk that year. It was the best you're ever going to see. Now that more people are getting into this, like you were saying, there's maybe 15 to 30% less returns per property. But that's because there's probably 15 to 30% more people that are getting in this that that money is getting spread around for, which is how equilibrium works. And we have the option to tell you the truth, which is what we at Bigger Pockets believe is the right approach. And all three of us that are on the show is integrity is more valuable than money. I was just telling someone that earlier today. Or 
try to to put some lipstick on that pig and sell you on a dream, get you all hyped up, get your advertising dollars, and then watch you get destroyed when you realize, oh, it's a lot harder to hit that baseball when you're not on steroids. So I mean, I think that's one of the reasons 2021 was so good. And a lot of people do use that as their uh, their baseline, which would be a, a mistake. Uh, Henry, what about you? How how long have you been investing and what was it like when you started? And every time I do a show with Rob where we talk about our our history and in investing, it's so aligned. I also started in 2017. So I've been doing this for just about six years. And you know, when I look at when I look at what, what I was buying back then, right? We were buying single families, small multifamilies. Um, we were buying them at about you know, uh, a 30% to 40% discount. And we were either renting, mostly renting them. And then I would do the occasional, uh, flip. And, uh, I was getting at about at that time I was getting between five and 7% interest. And so when you hear Rob talk about, you know, um, he feels like this is getting back to normal. That is exactly how I feel. I mean, now we've gone a little past normal on the interest rate side now because we're we're up above that that six and seven percent you know for investors anyway getting getting loans but uh, it it has felt more like a, a reset than a than a you know a crash or you know what some people are saying and so yeah it's been it's been a reset and and I think there's a there's a caveat to like my strategy versus Rob's uh, short term rental strategy and it's that I've always been trained to look off market. So I've been building, you know, systems and processes to help me find off market deals before I even knew that that's what I had to do. That's just how I learned this business. And, and so if my deal flow hasn't changed from then to now, I, I get the same amount of deals for the same amount of effort, um, because, looking off market, you're, you're more buying situations than you're buying houses. And there's always going to be a situation where people are willing and or need to sell at a discount. So that hasn't changed, but what has changed is, um, is kind of the disposition strategy, right? Cause the market is going to, is going to reward you in some way, shape or form. It's either going to reward you through appreciation, cash flow, or equity. And so in, when I first got started, I was holding a lot because it was fairly easy to cash flow. I could get deep discounts. I have, I'm in a market where I can get fairly decent rents and I'm in a market where the entry price, the purchase prices aren't through the roof, right? I'm not in a California or a, or a Florida, Texas, New York, right? I'm, uh, and so being in Arkansas, I can get good entry prices. And so I was it, almost every deal would make sense from a rental perspective. So we kept a lot, but then 2021 hit and I started doing the math on, well, yeah, I could rent this and make a few hundred dollars a month net cash flow, or I could sell it and make 90 grand. I just bought it, you know, six months ago, right? It was really hard to hold those. And so we were capitalizing on what the market, you know, in, in sports, David, we say you take what the defense gives you, right? The defense was saying, I'm going to give you a big bag of cash for this property. And it's going to take you 15 to 20 years of cash flow to even get close to the m- amount of money you're going to make if you sell it. 
And so we pivoted by selling a lot in 2021. And I use that as a time to trim the fat in my portfolio, right? So I had properties that were cash flowing a little bit that I didn't love, we would sell them. If I had properties that were more maintenance intensive than I had hoped, we would sell them because we could get paid for selling them in that market. And so now I would say that the defense is telling us, uh, well, you're not going to make a ton if you sell it and your cash flow is going to be a little difficult, right? So now it's, we have to really pay attention to how we're analyzing the deals and then make a call. And mostly that call right now is, am I willing to make a little bit of cash flow or break even in hopes that when interest rates come down, that we get a bump in the market and appreciation goes up or do I flip it and make, you know, 20, 30 grand, right? So it's the same game, but it's the rule, the, the disposition gets a little different. That's a great way of looking at today's episode. We are talking about in today's market against today's defense, what is it giving you and how do you take advantage of it? And there are times when like, if we're going to stick with like a basketball analogy here where you're playing a team with a terrible defense and your goal is to score as much points as you can and get your starters out of the game. This was the Golden State Warriors for years. Like Stephen Curry didn't even play the fourth quarter. Uh, and that was a, it gave them a better opportunity to have a better, longer season because they could rest their stars. They could score a lot of points. Teams didn't know how to guard them. Then there's times where the market's going to give you a very difficult defense like now where you feel like sometimes it almost might feel like it's impossible to score. Can you run the defense ragged for the whole shot clock and you make them tired so that later in the game you have an opportunity? Can you get fouled and start to just try to get into the bonus? There's something that can be done. But if your expectation was, Uh, We're going to make three passes and get a wide open three pointer by one of the best shooters in the world. And if that doesn't work, well, then basketball isn't working. You're not adapting well. And real estate is is, uh, cyclical. Economic cycles are by definition cyclical. There are times where it's hard to buy real estate. There are times where it's easy. There are times where we're printing a lot of money. There's times that we're in a recession or a depression. There's going to be different defenses that we're going against. And I think your example there is really, really good. So let's use that as a jumping off point. Rob, what is your preferred method of investing? In terms of like which asset class? Yes. Yes. Short-term rentals. I don't think any, not, not much of a secret there, but, um, it is starting to move a little bit into... I'm doing a lot more stuff this year, I think. And this will still feed into short-term rentals for sure. But I'm definitely like really heavying up in the sub-2 creative finance space. Uh, because for for me, that's sort of the solution to, to, to all the problems that we're seeing right now with interest rates and everything. All right. So let's talk about expectations. What were they when you started? And what are your expectations right now that you're investing in a tougher market? Yeah. Okay, cool. So... Here's and one other thing that I wanted to say about all this is that like I hate to even say this, uh, maybe we'll cut it out, but like I feel like the last five years, like real estate sort of was like a get rich quick scheme. Like everyone was making money. I would say in the short term rental space specifically, your experience, yes, but like legitimately, you could make a lot of money. But most veterans, I think, know and understand that all real estate is not get rich quick. It's like get wealthy over time. And then there will be pockets within the timeline that like you can you can make a lot of money, right? And so for short-term rentals, that's what it was. And now you can still make really good money. Personally, I think so. And I'll walk you through a deal in a second. I just think it's not like... I don't think you're going to retire off of one property. Um, I, and I personally, anecdotally, have never paid myself really for my short-term rental properties. So whether my portfolio makes 10K or 7K, it doesn't affect me too much because it all just goes back into all the properties that I'm buying. But all to say these days, here's sort of like the cash on cash that I'm looking for. Traditionally, 
over the last five years, I was looking for like a thirty a thirty to fifty percent cash on cash return, which I don't even like putting that out there. This is not really something I would ever tell anybody listening to this, like, go get a fifty percent. It's ridiculous. It's just how it was. Well, let me let me jump in there. It's that's what you were getting because when you compared all the deals that you were looking at, the top, top, top deers deals could provide a thirty to fifty percent return. And because you had a really good deal funnel, you had a really good analysis system, you were good at what you do. You were only buying the best deals, which provided that. That does not mean the person who's brand new is going to step in and, to use the basketball analogy, get the same wide open look that you're getting. Correct. Yes. Thank you for that. That's why I'm like, I don't even want to put it out there. But like, you know, we bought a, um, like a chalet in the Smoky Mountains. We, I think all in, we paid 50K for furnishings, down payment, everything. We grossed 83,000 the first year, profited like 58. I don't know. It was something like that. Right. So that one was like a perfect deal. But these days, it's just not like that anymore. And I think a lot of people want to like sort of achieve that. But nowadays, I've really, I've tampered it more and more over the last year. Last, at the beginning of last year, I was cool with like a 20 to 25%. I was settling for a 20 right now. Uh, a 15% cash on cash return is what I'm looking for when I very conservatively underwrite all my short-term rental deals. And that's a really big change from when I started, right? Like that's nowhere near the same return pro- profile. But I'm also really just uh, padding my my underwriting to just allow... Like I'm trying to make it... Even if it is a, let's say a 25 or a 30%, I'm purposely adding so much stuff in my underwriting to try to get it to a 15%. Just so I'm like, all right, doomsday scenario. Can I get a 15%? If the answer is yes, I'll move forward with it. If it's if it's less than that, I won't do it. All right. So you're still taking a cash flow heavy perspective where you want a cash on cash return of 15%. That's still the, the most important metric that you're looking at when you're analyzing deals. Okay. Well, that's, you know, there's more to it than that, David. Uh, I mean, look, I think you know when you're when you're analyzing a, a property, right? It's not just the cash flow. You have to look at the overall ROI of the property, and that ROI is going to be calculated between cash flow, debt paydown, tax deductions, and appreciation. So when you factor all those things in, it usually doubles roughly, like your cash on cash. I, I believe I'd have to look at my calculator. So am I okay with like a like me personally? Do as I say, not as I do. I'm fine with like a ten percent, like really at the end of the day. If it's the right property, right location, right value add, yeah, yeah, because the ROI is going to be much higher than that on if I ever sold it in like five to ten years, right? But baseline, like if I if I were just looking at it from a cash on cash perspective, which I think nowadays I'm not, but for someone getting into it, I think a fifteen percent is a pretty good metric with the way interest rates are. Yeah, there's a good point in there. When you first start learning about real estate, we use ROI, return on investment, as the metric that we teach people to look at, which is in our world, really what we're saying is cash on cash return. That's the technical term for what we're describing. We say ROI, but the I in, in ROI is investment. And we're talking about the return on the cash we put in the deal, not the overall investment, because it makes you money in other ways too. The, the more accurate way of measuring your ROI is actually called the internal rate of return. IRR. That's something worth Googling. It's something to go onto bigger pockets and take a look at. This is a metric that syndicators use because they're looking at the return on a property if you own it for five years, seven years, 10 years, and they're including the cash on cash return that we just described, the loan pay down, the equity that you may have created by buying it under market value, as well as the equity that you may have created by value add to the property. 
Um, increasing the rent amounts makes it worth more money when you go to exit. There's lots of ways real estate makes money, tax advantages. IRR really takes all of those into consideration. So when you hear someone like me say it's not all about cash flow, that doesn't mean cash flow doesn't matter. It means it is a piece of, it'd be like saying, well, it's not all about how well you can score. That doesn't mean scoring doesn't matter in sports. It's it's there's more to it. That's that's obviously a part of it. So when it comes, Rob, to the deals you're looking at, where are you where are you starting financially? How do you tend to fund most of the deals you're buying? Over the last couple of years, we have been doing OPM, other people's money, and working with individual investors. We have since switched to that, and now we're doing fundraising with Rob Elk Capital. We haven't really launched it yet, but we're going to be doing a fund and working on more value adds because I think that that's where the real equity and appreciation will come in into play for 2023 is taking like a dilapidated RV park, making it, sprucing it up, making it a lot nicer, doubling the income, getting a lot of value and basically forcing appreciation that way. That's kind of where I'm moving is out of single family acquisitions into much bigger developments and projects. All right, Henry, moving on to you here. Um, when it comes to your expectations, what is your approach right now to real estate investing in this tougher market? Yeah. When we first started out back in 2017, I remember, um, you know, I was a big, bigger pockets, Brandon Turner guy. Nice, subtle dig there. <laughs> Let's hear more about your ex, how she compares to me. You know, and so, you know, Brandon was the, you know, $100 a door after all expenses, right? And and so that's how I evaluated and determined if the rental property was going to make sense. I wanted a uh, 7% to 10% cash on cash return, and I wanted $100 a door net cash flow. You're talking after expenses, after vacancy, after CapEx. All the expenses, guys, not just the mortgage, taxes, insurance, but I'm, and I'm, and I'm, uber conservative on um, my expenses numbers. I over budget for my expenses. Because um, then when I know I see $100 net cash flow, I'm probably going to make more than that. But um, that's so that's how we were analyzing deals back then. And uh, now things are a little different, but not much. Um, because back then I didn't have like um, the consistent deal flow that I have now, right? I was building those processes, right? And so now as the processes are well established and I have great deal flow, I understand my market better and uh, have some, there's some predictability with what I what I see coming in the door. Um, I'm a little more greedy, you know, greedy is not the right word, but I, I want my numbers to be better, right? I'm a little more picky, right? And so um, for for me, we are looking at if I'm going to buy a single and hold it as a rental, I want my singles to pay me like a multi. And so I want two to three hundred dollars net cash flow per door on a single on a multi. I'll take a hundred to two hundred net cash flow per door. I would like a 10% cash on cash return, but if it's a multi, it doesn't have to give me a 10% cash on cash return because the multis are just so much more beneficial, both from a cash flow perspective, also from a tax perspective. Um, and then from a value perspective, the, the value of those goes up faster. Well, if rents are, bu- are going up by $100, or $100 a year and you've got three doors versus one door, that exponentially starts to become more valuable over time. Is that what you're getting at? Absolutely. Yes. So... Um, the analysis as far as, as how I do it hasn't changed, but what I'm looking for, or what I'm willing to take on a property has changed. And I would say that that's what everything was up until, you know, 2023 and the interest rates going the way they are, because those high interest rates are eating up that cash flow. And so it is a whole lot more difficult to find those properties where I'm going to get, you know, 
two, three hundred, four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars net cash flow per door because I'm paying so much more for the money uh, to buy that property. And so the 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 you know the game's a little different right now. I I I am willing to take less cash flow if the property is in a a neighborhood that I feel like is going to appreciate, especially if that property is a multifamily again for those for those same reasons because the 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 golden days, you know, Rob, Rob's golden days, we had ours too, right? Before these interest rates, the golden days where you could buy something as long as you were getting it at a 30% discount is if you stuck a tenant in it, you were going to cash flow, and it just doesn't work like that anymore. And so we do find ourselves making decisions on, do I keep this property and, you know, essentially break even, um, or do I sell this and make a smaller profit than I would typically like to? And uh, those are deals I wouldn't even have considered. Because the defense didn't make you back when you started. It was the 15 to 30% cash on cash return that Rob's talking about, the the two or $300 per door that Henry's talking about. Those were, like, if you probably took a super nerdy approach and you looked at um, the statistical, what's the, what's the word, the standard deviation, uh, and you looked at every deal you compared, these were in the upper echelon of deals. And so that's what you'd go for. You're comparing the deal you can get to the deal you've seen before, and you're looking for the one you've seen before. In today's market, there aren't those amazing cash flow numbers that we're seeing because there's so much competition for these assets. Now it almost becomes, is it better to get my 7% return that Henry said or nothing? Before it was, is it better to get 7% or wait for a 10 to 12%, right? And going back to the basketball analogy here, when you first get the ball, the first thing you look at is, can I get all the way to the rim, right? There's nobody in there. I could beat my guy at the dribble. It's a layup. That's the, of course, that's a 30% ROI. You're going to take that every time. But as defenses get better, that's not an option. They have a seven foot Rudy Gobert in there who's waiting for you. And that's not going to happen anymore. You can't beat your guy off the dribble. Now it starts to, okay, can I come off of a screen and hit a jump shot? It's going to be tougher, but it's better than a shot clock violation and not getting anything off. That's what we're we're describing in these situations. And if you take the expectation from five years ago and you apply it to the market you're in now, you're never going to shoot the ball. You're going to have shot clock violations over and over and over, and you're going to lose the game by virtue of not taking a shot. Or Rudy Gobert is going to throw it back in your face. Yeah, that's the other thing. That's like the loss, right? Like you just, you tried to go after that great deal and you got sucked into buying a $40,000 property in a terrible neighborhood that you never should have bought because the cash on cash return looked great. Uh, When it comes to financing, Henry, what's your financing strategy right now? Yeah, absolutely. So back in, I would say from 2017 on until about six months ago, uh, my financing strategy was using commercial loans from small local banks. Um, I built relationships with small local banks and I could take down deals if I had to put my, if I had to put money in from a down payment perspective, the, the benefit to the small local banks is I could bring that money from somewhere else. So I was either taking uh, equity from another property and using a line of credit to pay those, or sometimes I would borrow the down payments from other investors and, and pay them an interest, uh, high interest for doing that. So yeah, I would, I would. Oh, or sometimes I would get the owner to carry back the down payments, right? And so we'd owner finance at least a down payment portion. Um, and that's how we were taking deals down. But as interest rates have gone up and has the, and there's been tightening uh, amongst banks and lending and the criteria has been a little more strict for them, it, and it's harder to make deals cash flow. Part of the reason small local banks want to invest uh, in or loan to real estate investors is because they can buy great deals that have great cash flow. And as we stated, that's not always the case. And so it's been tougher to get 
the local banks to loan uh, on on deals if the numbers aren't fantastic. And so now we've shifted and we're typically taking down deals with private or hard money um, at a higher interest rate. And then we'll refinance them with either a small local bank or a non-QM product. Um, and still, that allows me to take down deals without having to put a ton of my capital in them. But it's a more expensive route to take because the interest is higher. Plus, you're basically closing the loan twice. Um, uh, but it's it's a way we found to be successful because we're still uh, we're still very very strict on our underwriting. Now, with the uh, with the I don't know the right word to use here the decreased expectations on mostly the cash on cash return from real estate are are each of you buying less real estate now or are you buying the same amount or more? I'll start with you, Henry. I am buying. I would say the same to more. Uh, actually, I would say more. We're doing more flips this year than we've done in any year. And last year, I bought more doors in one year than I'd, I'd ever purchased. So we're we're doing more. Rob? Uh, I am doing more. Yeah, I want to do more. <laughs> like I'm really addicted to creative finance sub two right now. People have been sending me deals. And I'm just like, yeah, why not? So... Yeah, it's my goal. I mean, I, I want to take down a lot this year. I want this to be the biggest year that I I um I operate in. And the reason that it's actually been working out relatively well so far is that, you know, uh I guess there's that free, I, I don't know, was it Buffett? Buffet? War, is, is that his name? Warren Buffet? No, I'm just kidding. Uh Warren Buffett, he was talking, said like when there's blood in, in the streets, oh gosh, I don't want to mess this uh, up. When the tide goes down. You see who's been swimming naked. Is that <laughs> no, no. Uh, it, it's okay. I, I know for sure he said this. He was like, when people are scared by when people are. Oh, what you're describing is when others are fearful, be greedy. When others are greedy, be fearful. That's- oh, you see. And that's why that's why we pay you the big bucks, David. Okay. So with that one specifically, everyone is so scared to get into real estate right now. So I can actually make offers and get them accepted. And it's a beautiful thing. The property that I'm buying in uh, in Denver right now, it's a triple dome home. It was on Zillow Gone Wild. It got 25,000 likes on it. Traditionally, I would have had to have like offered 200K over that like a year ago. And today, I mean, I offered a little bit over just because I knew that there was another offer and I wanted it. I think I offered 25K over and I got it. And I was like, wow, this feels good. It feels good to actually like only be competing with one other person versus 20 other people. And so for me, I'm like, I'm coming in like, oh yeah, everyone's scared. Give this one to me, baby. But on top of that, with creative finance and sub two, yeah, man, I'm just going to be picking up as much as I possibly can. Because if you can assume someone else's mortgage and get like a 3% interest rate, I mean, literally almost any deal works. It's like, it's really quite a magical thing. So useless fact here, you mentioned blood in the streets. Did you know the high heel shoes were originally created for men to wear that were butchers for walking around in the butcher shop so that they would not get blood all over the bottom of their shoes? Wow. I had no idea. I did not know that. I always wonder why you kept a pair of, yeah, a a pair of high heels in your car. It's a secret to these calf muscles, actually. It's like I'm (laughs) always walking down a hill at all times. It's also why we never let the camera go below my waist when we're (laughs) recording. I'm not sure if the audience is ready for that. I just got an image of of strong, hairy calves and high heels right now. (laughs) It's a great way to describe it. I put a, uh, on my Instagram story the other day, I put a a little meme that had like, like 25 year old guy that works his calves out seven days a week in the gym and they're like kind of skinny. And it's like, 42 year old dad of three kids and oh, got man, like, just yes like <laughs> massive thighs for and it's so true i don't understand <laughs> yes all right 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Take a second and imagine this. Immediate cash flow, above average rent, built-in equity, and a foolproof exit plan. No, it's not 2012 again. This is just what it's like to invest with Integra Development Group. They've simplified the real estate investing process so everyone can invest. With their new construction single-family rent-to-own homes, you'll get aggressively priced brand new properties that have tenants in place now in one of the fastest-growing states in America, Florida. Here's how IDG's rent-to-own strategy works. You get exclusive access to inventory with aggressive pricing thanks to IDG's builder-partner relationships. Then, invest and collect immediate cash flow with tenants already in place at or very close to closing. With the demand for new builds, your tenants pay above-market rent so you rake in more cash flow. And you'll get built-in equity and appreciation with an already agreed-to purchase price at year three, helping the tenants become homeowners while you build wealth. That's investing simplified. So secure your next investment property today with Integra Development Group at IntegraDG.com. That's IntegraDG.com to start investing today. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day, plus Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. 
Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Moving on here. Now, Rob, I understand you have a deal in mind that we are going to break down for all the people joining us on this podcast to hear how deals are being analyzed. So uh, t- first off, tell me, like, where is this deal? What is it? Is it your triple dome deal that you just mentioned? It is. It is. So it's in Castle Rock, uh, which is about 15, 20 minutes away south of Denver. It's in between Denver and Colorado Springs. And it's beside the, the Rocky Mountains and Breckenridge. So it's kind of like in this little spot. That's really cool. You should call this the Casterly Rock. <laughs> yes. Right? As your like Airbnb name, because we always give stupid names to Airbnb properties. Do you know what that is from, Rob? Yes. But for everyone at home... <laughs> you don't know what that is. Henry, <laughs> would you like to share it? <laughs> that, is, that, is the goat, that is the goat reference, the Game of Thrones. Yes. It's a, it's a location in Game of Thrones called Casterly Rock. And so like you would get a lot of... like. People would recognize that and book it. I think you should go with that. Okay. That's cool. Triple Dome has a good ring to it also. But what do you like about that location? Okay. So like I said, it's in between like a lot of different areas. So my buying criteria in general is buying near national parks, state parks, eclectic towns, and vacation destinations. Those are my four buckets. And this one is sort of in between all of them, right? So it's in between Denver, which is a really big metropolitan area. And the regulations in Denver are pretty strict. So I already feel like the overall competition is on the lower end because it's so hard to get a functional Airbnb in Denver. But it's also near Breckenridge and it's also near the Rocky Mountains. So that's state park, uh, sorry, national park. But then there's also a state park. It's called Roxborough State Park that's right next to Castle Rock. And then an eclectic town. I mean, as you really, I wouldn't really classify this one as that, but Boulder is north of Denver. That's kind of eclectic. That's That's near Castle Rock as well. So it's sort of in this like, this booming little spot where like I have so many target markets of people that are going to be going through Castle Rock just to get to some of these areas that I told you. So from a location standpoint, it checks the boxes. Um, it's also a very unique stay. Um, if you're on YouTube, we're B-rolling all of this for you to see. It's a beautiful home. And what's really special about it is that it's got 360 degree views of mountains everywhere. And uh, everyone has gone crazy about this house on the internet, like the Zillow Gone Wild Comments are really, really crazy. So I just feel like it's going to be a really, really amazing portfolio piece for my direct booking website, Neek Sleeps. Um, I think it's going to be a, a very Instagrammable experience. And so this is one of those, like, if I build it, they'll come type of things. It's already been built, but I'm going to be building the brand and everything like that. So I think this one to me has a lot of potential, but I was a little bit, uh, you know, there there are some ways that I underwrote this to kind of like make sure that it fit my criteria. All right. So how much are you buying this for and how is the deal structured? Okay. So it is a conventional loan. Um, it is a 5.99% interest rate actually, which is not bad. I had to pay about $8,000 worth of points to get it down to that rate. So I'm really happy with it. Um, it was a million dollars and I bid a million twenty-five. I would have probably gotten it for a million, but someone else made an offer and they, the, we got the intel that it was over asking. So I just went, I was like, man, I don't know how much over asking was. So I'm going to go a million twenty five and I beat them. So I guess they went over like 10,000 or something like that. I'm not really sure. Um, and I am putting, unfortunately, 30% down because I had to do that to get it to not be a jumbo loan so that I could basically, it's what I could qualify for conventionally. You know, I, 
to the banks. I'm a poor man, even though I have successful businesses, but I haven't had successful businesses for two tax years. So, you know, I still have to kind of like cobble together finances to get it all approved. But I'll be putting down 30%. Um, I'm hoping to squeak out a 15% cash on cash return on this particular property. All right. And then was there a subject to element to it? No, not on this one. This is just a straight... Per- I saw it. I was like, I want this house. I'm going to buy it. And I uh, made the offer and somehow got it. Now, if you had professional property management, 20, 25%, would this deal still pencil? Technically, yes. This would this would be much closer to... Oh, actually, no. Yeah, it would still be an 11%. The way that I've underwritten it, I think I'm going to make a 20% cash on cash return. And with a 20% management fee, it would be an 11.7% cash on cash return. Now, if this ends up being you know, kind of middle of the road. So if I get this to a 15% cash on cash return, like I was thinking in a management company, right? Let's imagine, let's assume that Blue Gems isn't doing this for free for me, then it would still be a 7.5% cash on cash return. So it would still work. I would, you know, it would, it would, it would not, it would cash flow. I think this deal would still cash flow 2,500 bucks a month. And what were you adjusting on your calculator there to determine if it would work? My management fee. So you you asked if I had a professional manager in it at 20%. That's what I'm putting in to see how it changes cash flow and it would bring me down to a 7%. But if I remove that, then I go up to a 16.2%. So from 7% to 16% by eliminating the management. So there's a point there for everyone listening who is running their deals saying, I don't want to be, I want passive income. I don't want to be a short-term rental operator. That could be why you're seeing your competition moving on deals and buying them. And you're not because that one number made it from a pretty solid deal to a, most people are passing on a 7% return. Like it's a little bit more elbow grease you're going to have to put into these deals in many cases. And Rob's one of the best in the business when it comes to these. So the odds of somebody else getting a deal this good and having the vision to to feel confident that it's going to work are, are going to be lower than it would be with Rob. So uh, part of what we're describing here is that with real estate becoming tougher, the passive element of it is passing away, right? Maybe there's a play in words we could get into that. Like there's passive has passed. Ooh, is that our thumbnail title? Yeah, Passive is dead. Because real estate is cyclical, there probably will come a time where it will go back to what it was like before. We don't know when that's going to be. But it was much easier to get these returns and just hand a property manager to manage it than what it is right now. I want to say that you're absolutely right on this. And everyone at home, re-listen to that part, right? Because a lot of us are getting into real estate. Let's just say short-term rentals, because that's what we're talking about for me specifically. You're going to buy like 10 properties and then 20 and then 30. Like eventually, like me, I have 35 right now. And it, you will no longer be able to self-management, manage those properties. You're going to have to give them up. Uh, I started my property management company, right? Like I, I went into Blue Gems because I was like, I need a solution for this. But the everyday operator, you will have to give that over to a management company. And the moment you do that, it will shrink your returns dramatically. So... That, that's a really good point, David. I mean, that's like something that people don't think about. If you're good at this, you're going to be very successful. You're going to scale up like that. And you're, you're, then you're going to have a management problem, meaning you're going to have to pay someone to manage everything. My advice, not that anyone asked for it, is if you're going to get into this asset class, expect to manage it yourself for three to five years. Do a very good job. Rents increase over time. Revenue increases over time. Your reviews increase over time. Your systems get better. Then you can, you've earned the right to hand it over to a property manager. 
Now they can take over and it becomes passive. You just can't have the expectation of starting it for day one. And that's sort of a theme that we're seeing throughout today's show. I'm noticing is you're just extending your horizon from when you expect that jackpot. Henry had mentioned several deals that like right off the bat, we're buying about 70% of what they're worth. We're getting this kind of cash flow. I could either get rid of it, make a bunch of money or keep it and make some money, but I had options. It's slowly moving into, I can still make the same money, but I'm not making it right off the bat. I'm having to extend. And I think that's a good uh, advice for people to extend their expectations. Now, Henry, same question to you. You have a deal picked out here. Um, so yes, I have a deal. So we're, you know, we're 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 moving from the amazing place of Casterly Rock to my to Sleepy Hollow, my little town of Bentonville, and and uh, yeah. So I'm 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 buying a single family home, and it is uh, I'm buying it for I know that what is a discount. But I am in the position of trying to figure out which exit strategy is going to make the most sense given the current market conditions. And so I think it's a good deal to talk about, right? So I'm paying $170,000 for it. It's going to need some work uh, in order for it to either be flipped or be long-term rented or be short-term rented. And so I am literally in the decision process right now trying to figure out which one of those exit strategies we're going to do. Now I'm buying it regardless of, of like, this is a purchase regardless of exit strategy, but this is that analysis that we're talking about trying to figure out what's, what's the best strategy given the market and your current financial situation. And so um, I'm in a position where I can put about 40,000 in it and I can flip it. I can put maybe 50, 55,000 in it and short-term rent it. Or I can put about thirty thousand in it and make it a rental, right? And if we if we rent it out, I could probably get, I could probably get eighteen hundred a month. And so I would be in the neighborhood of breaking even if I did that. Now, there's the reason I would consider breaking even for this is because Bentonville is just such a strong market with Walmart headquartered there and. Um, and though, even though it wouldn't cash flow right now, I'm going to get a big bump in appreciation because Walmart's building their brand new home office facility. They've got to bring people here. It's still a tourist destination for mountain bikers right now. There's not a ton of hotels. And so people need, uh, places to stay if I wanted to do a short term rental. And so that like the, the, and I think once interest rates go down, it's going to force more people into the market and it's going to force the values up. Right. And so there are situations where, (laughs) where I'm ready to where I'm willing to break even because of what my, you know, analysis tells me about what could be coming in the future. Right. And that, that is not something every new investor is going to be able to do. It's going to involve you being an expert in your market and understanding what's coming and doing the research, right. To make those kinds of decisions. Um, and so right now I am leaning towards I am leaning towards going ahead and selling it. And the reason I'm leaning towards going ahead and selling it is because I have a pipeline of deals. There are more deals coming. I'm not, I don't have a shortage of deals to buy. And so, uh, this one, I, I, I don't love the short, the long-term rental cash flow numbers. And I'm not confident. I'm not, I'm not super confident in the short-term rental numbers because of the, the specific neighborhood that this uh, home is in. I don't know that it would produce the returns that my other short-term rentals in Bentonville will. And so I'm not, 
I'm not super comfortable with it. So I'm doing some research, talking to my Airbnb property manager, seeing how what's his confidence level on what he thinks we can rent it for. I think I think if we did a short term rental, we we we'd push that that monthly income up to about uh, anywhere between uh, two thousand and three thousand dollars a month. So um, it could be great. It could not work out well. And so what I am confident in with 100 percent certainty is that I can put forty thousand dollars into it and sell it for uh, and sell it for two hundred and ten thousand dollars. No sweat. Um, and so that is sorry, not two ten. I said two ten. It's not two ten. Tell it for two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. No sweat. Right. And so that is the that the that is the strategy I am absolutely the most confident in. And in this market, you're getting punished for making mistakes. And so I'm probably going to lean toward the thing I'm the most confident in. There's a couple of points I think worth highlighting there as well. And some of this comes from uh, James Daynard. Old Jimmy made a point on the State of the Market podcast that I thought was really good and worth repeating here. Um, Jimmy had mentioned that the ROI, if you're looking at cash on cash return is nominal or non-existent in a lot of deals. However, he flips a lot of houses and the return on his investment when he looks at flipping can be incredible, right? He could get 20, 30, 40, 50% return on the money that he put in a deal, especially if he's leveraging other people's money on a flip. Now that's not passive income. That's active income. Okay. So we usually don't compare these two options because when you keep real estate and you get a hundred dollars a month, but you bought it with 200,000 in equity, you still made $200,000 at that time. You just didn't make it in the form of cash flow, which can be misleading. And what that had me thinking about is so many people are listening to us. They want our lives because they don't like the job they have. Uh, Henry, you at one point were doing uh, corporate real estate for Walmart. Rob, you were doing uh, professional voice acting and marketing <laughs> and uh, <laughs> overall debauchery. <laughs> but the thing we, I was a cop, right? I was sleeping like three hours a night on a good night, just looking for every day I woke up, like, when's the next time I could sleep? I was just obsessed with like, when can I get sleep? We didn't like the lives we had. Real estate gave us a better life. If you're in that position, it has been previously. Uh, sort of like spoken to you that the evangelist for real estate would say, if you get enough cash flow, you can replace your active income with passive income. You can quit your job. You can move on to something better. That is what is becoming very hard. However, if you quit your job and got into flipping houses and you made $75,000 a year flipping two different homes, okay, that could be a job you like more than the one you don't like. Doesn't involve you sitting in commute traffic. You can work from home. Your schedule becomes more flexible. Now there's some downsides to that. You're taking a little bit more risk. Uh, there might be a learning curve in the beginning, but if you're somebody who's really good with real estate, you're a Henry, you're looking at deals all the time and you're like, this thing just doesn't add up right now for cash flow, but I could make 45 grand flipping the contract to somebody else or fixing and flipping and moving into something different. You do have an opportunity to get the ROI you would need to replace your job doing this. It's a different way of looking at these opportunities and it's forcing yourself to stop looking at only cash on cash return. It's looking at many ways that real estate can benefit you that will open up these opportunities. What say each of you to this, what I'm sort of now just deeming the new approach to looking at real estate investing? I, I agree. I think I think we got to get back into the habit of saying, hey, real estate is a long, long game. And, you know, some sometimes there will be good years. Sometimes there will be more normal years like now. But at the end of the day, it's like 
you're just pushing the ball forward. Like I was thinking about this as Henry was saying it earlier, the, the golden years. Hey, yeah, th- these were the golden years. But I genuinely think not to be too, uh, you know, Andy from the office, but I do think that like 20, 30 years from now, we're going to look at now and be like, these are the golden years. Like this is it because we're all good at what we do and we're all going to continue to crush it every single year because we love doing this. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I, I tell my students this all the time. I'm like, look, investing is about buying something for less than it's worth, adding value to it, and then capitalizing on its new value, right? Uh, it, even in the stock market, right? You want to buy when a stock is down, hold it until it goes up, right? And then you've made a return on your investment. This is when the wealth is built, guys. This is what it looks like, right? You have opportunity to buy. And though you're not going to make money immediately, I think for the people who are actively buying right now, five years from now, even the people buying now are the people who are buying in like 2009, right? Like those people were pumped that they bought in 2009. So um, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to build wealth. It's not pretty now, but I think it'll be beautiful um, in the long run. We're always going to be pumped that we bought now, like 10 years from now. That's, and I say that constantly. Tell me a person you know that bought a house 30 years ago that says, I wish I never would have done it. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, well, do you remember we had Janice on like a month ago and she was like, yeah, I bought my first house in LA for 180,000 or something like that. And we were like, what in 2004? Like we were so like perplexed by this. Tell me a person who bought a house 30 years ago that remembers what was in the inspection report and how stressful it was. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's true. But also tell me a person that bought that house 30 years ago that thought that they were getting a great deal and they were they were pay- buying it for less than what it's worth. <clears throat> Most people believe they're overpaying for real estate at the time they buy it. We always think we could have got the deal better. Uh, it's time that really creates the wealth in real estate. And we sabotage this when we're like, I need to get a, a I need to get a dunk four seconds into the shot clock before I put some work in a breaking down the defense or move the ball around. Now, Henry, you made a great point. Real estate is about buying something for less than it's worth, making it worth more, and then capitalizing on that. So from my framework, I would call that buying equity, forcing equity. <clears throat> and then having an exit strategy. Now, the exit strategy could be holding it as a rental. It could be selling it and turning the equity that you created in that deal into cash, putting that cash back into the next deal. There's lots of ways we can do it. But on the uh, from the perspective of how do we make something a good deal if it doesn't start as a good deal, I'm going to ask each of you, what advice do you have for taking a deal like, like Rob's uh, Castle Rock property that other people passed on? And making it a good deal. And then Henry, I'll ask you the same thing. You mentioned creative financing. That's one way, I think, right off the bat. That, like you said, if you get something at a 3% interest rate, everything works, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I think, hold on, let me think about that for a second. Go to Henry first. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, we could do that. I don't mind. <laughs> Rob is not a freestyle rapper. I will tell you guys that right now. <laughs> no, no, I am. I no, know. you're not. Well, I was trying to think of, I'm trying to, yes, listen. You had to open your computer and pull up an analysis. That is the opposite of freestyle. It's <laughs> like 25 takes. <laughs> well, you were asking me to take you through the numbers. I was. Go home, get to the lab, grab a pencil, make it suspenseful, and come back and hit us with an earful. Did you just hit us with an eight mile battle rap scene? <laughs> yes, because that's something Rob doesn't do. Henry, on the other hand, can add, he belongs in a cipher. Rob. I feel that that deal was already good. So you're like, how do you make it work? And I'm like, I did. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you bought a deal other people didn't see. So you saw something in it that made that deal work for you. What do you think that was? You mentioned the experience. You mentioned creating a, a unique uh, way of marketing the property. You There are things you're doing that other people that just said, run the numbers on AirDNA doesn't work past it. Yes, it doesn't work on AirDNA at all. I think AirDNA has this one at like $60,000. I think it's going to gross between one seventy five dollars and $200,000. So the way that I made this work for myself is... I just did a little bit of prospecting, right? When you look at the the market analysis, there are no unique dome homes. There are no unique homes at all in this area. And so, so many people would look at this deal and pass on it because it's scary. There are no numbers to support this. Where I'm coming in, I'm saying like, I'm going to be the pioneer in this space specifically. I will be the comp that people look to copy basically for the rest of time. So AirDNA is comparing this to a track house that looks like all the other houses around it. Exactly. But what I know is that a unique property can can basically demand a 300% premium on a typical property. So whereas a typical property might only get 100 bucks a night, this would get 300 bucks a night on the opposite end of it. Now, really, this property will get 700 to $1,000 a night, I think. Whereas most people running the numbers think that it would get like 250. So it works for no one else but it works for me because I know I know what I have here. But experience is the reason that I know that. Now, see, Henry, my job is to bring the greatness out of Rob that's there that he doesn't know he has, right? <laughs> so, Rob, I'm going to lead you back to some more greatness. What about the hotel that you bought that was being used as a traditional hotel that you are turning into a series of short-term rentals? Did you make something there? Yeah, same thing. That one was a... Basically, that one was approached to me. Someone approached me to that. And they're like, hey, do you want to buy my hotel? And he gave us a really good interest rate. I think we got it for like but the entire hotel needed a remodel. And I think, I want to say that the owner had already started to remodel, but it just was so much work that he was like, you know, I'm just going to sell it to someone that can actually like finish out the job. He sold it to us. And so we're getting to basically capture the opportunity of remodeling an entire hotel. Granted, it's a lot of work, right? It's active, just like you said. But the opposite side of it is that this like, hotel will be worth like double or triple what we paid for it. So you're adding value through a rehab. You're adding value through putting each of those hotels on Airbnb, VRBO, not just a traditional hotel that someone's going to have to look up in the yellow pages. And you're adding value in this case through seller financing. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. That is a great example of you made a deal by those things that other people would have just looked at it, saw the cash on cash return, said nope, or saw that it needs too much work and passed on it. Yep. 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 Wow. Wow. I'm so smart. Thanks. I told you there's greatness in you, Rob. We just, I just got to pull it out of you. I just got to be willing to freestyle a little bit. Yeah. And you got to go through mom's spaghetti to get there, but that's okay. We're all going to do that together. (laughs) Henry, to you, what are some ways that you've been able to make deals instead of just looking for deals? Yeah, I can totally freestyle. That's why I wear black. So you can't see the mom's spaghetti on my shirt. Uh, (laughs) I, so, so part of the ways that I make deals are, um, through not looking through one exit strategy lens. So I have learned the exit strategies of a flix and flipper. I've learned the exit strategies of a buy and hold renter. I've learned the exit strategies of a short term, uh, short term rental. And that allows me to look at a deal from multiple perspectives. And so I'm not just looking like, Hey, this doesn't meet my cash on cash return or my cash flow numbers as a rental and pass on it. Right. It allows me to look at a deal from multiple angles and see how I can monetize that. So like with the deal we talked about, I know that I can make money on it at least three ways. There could be a fourth. I could probably assign that contract to somebody as well if I wanted to. Right. And so 
Um, I can make deals just by being educated and versed in multiple exit strategies. The other way that I think somebody who's new who may not feel that that's something that they can do is you can make deals by being creative with what you're looking for. And you can do this even on the market. And I still do this. I will look at deals um, and we and, and and I will I am looking specifically for how can I add value well, why can I add the most value with spending the least amount of money, right? And so when I'm looking for a deal, like if I'm looking and I can't find a duplex anywhere or a multifamily anywhere, then I'm going to start looking at single families that I can easily turn into a duplex or a multifamily, either by converting a garage or by um, converting like an exterior building that already has. So some of these houses that you'll find, they've got a shed with plumbing and electrical in it. Well, it's not that hard to convert that into a living space, right? Um, Because you've got the foundation and you've got the some of the structure. Garages are an easy way. Sometimes you can split up a house, um, especially if it's a split wing house, meaning that the master bedrooms on one side of the house and the the bed the other bedrooms in the bathroom are on, are on another. It's fairly easy to turn one side of that into a unit and another side into a unit. Now it takes some creativity. It's going to take some money, some of those things, but you can make a deal um, and add max value with doing a, a little bit of work. What, what I've typically done in the flip space is find houses that have, um, uh, and, and we talked about this on a previous episode is find houses that have um, like sunrooms uh, or big, uh, big rooms that aren't, technically heated and cooled square footage uh as and this works for garages as well you can take a an hvac return and pop it into that room and now that space is heated and cooled all you've got to do is add the flooring insulate the walls and now you've got an additional room and rooms are going to add value and so just because you can look at a deal and it's at its current state and say this deal doesn't pencil but will it pencil if you add a bedroom? Will it pencil if you add a bedroom and a bathroom under the same roof? And how inexpensively can you do that? I just converted a laundry room for a house into a bathroom, which included the laundry in the bathroom. The house was on a crawl space. It cost me about $5,000 to do that. But now instead of a three bed, one bath house, I have a three bed, two bath house, which allowed me to take the the bathroom that was a hall bath and close off the doorway to that hall bathroom and then open a doorway from one of the bedrooms into that hall bathroom. And now I created a primary suite because I added a bathroom in the laundry room because the laundry room was oversized. Right. And so I was able to sell that property for about 30 $35,000 more than I would have without that extra bathroom because there was more demand for it. And because it was, uh, uh, you know, there were, t- there were two bathrooms and a primary suite. It's a much more desirable property. And it cost me five grand to do that. That's a great, great advice. People should go back and listen to that again. If you're trying to figure out how to make these things work, you're hearing it here. The defense is tough, but that doesn't mean you can't win. You just got to take a different approach. Last question to each of you. We are what I would call professional investors, professional real estate people. This is what we do full time. We look for deals. Henry, you mentioned that you have a very big funnel that you've created that you're looking at stuff. Rob has an entire network. He's talking about having, you know, Rob capital that he's going to be creating. You each have audiences of people that follow you that can bring you deals, right? We have this platform that not everyone has. For the person who is not a professional investor that wants to make money through real estate, but they're not leaving their day job anytime soon, or their skill set would not work in the environment that we operate in, 
What advice do you have for that person to build wealth through real estate and what expectations are reasonable for them in this market? Yeah. So here's two things. I think you need to be the ed- education is is vastly important more now than ever so before. Right. And so I talked about educating myself on multiple exit strategies. I think everyone needs to be doing that. You can't be so laser focused on one strategy um, because you're probably leaving opportunities on the table. And then you have to, uh, for every investor, uh, focus on what's the lowest common denominator in real estate. It's always going to be a deal. You've got to have a good deal right now. We talked about ways that you can make something that isn't a good deal at face value look like a good deal or become a good deal based on how you can creatively add value to that property. But you've got to be able to know what does a good deal look like in your market? And then you've got to pick a way to find those good deals. All three of us, we have a way that we like to find our good deals and we kind of go all in on whatever that strategy is. So I can't tell you know every random investor which strategy they should use or what's the best strategy. It's really, they all work. But you've got to a know what a good deal is for you, and then you have to pick a strategy to know how to go, go find it. And I think the the better you get at um, analyzing and underwriting and looking for those deals, the easier it's going to become to to monetize those deals in the future. And so I'm not going to give you the traditional answer of go house hack. That's a great way to go. You know, you know, make money in this market. I think that. Um, educate yourself on as many strategies as you can find a way to find good deals. I just happen to find my way is looking off market, right? Rob has his way. David has his way, but you've got, the more you do it, the more deals you analyze, the more deals you underwrite, you're going to be able to start finding those diamonds in the rough, finding those gems or creating or making the value. And so I just help, I just want people to be able to focus on one to two strategies of finding deals. And then you just go all in. I call it relentless consistency in pursuing that strategy until it yields results. Rob, what about you? Average person not quitting their day job, wants to make money through real estate. What approach should they take and what expectations should they have? Um, I think that for me, I'm, I always say this, like, you got to throw darts at the wall, right? And I think you got to try a few things. Um, I like the idea of going all in. I did pretty early on. I think you got to try a few things before you go all in, though. You know what I mean? I think if you... Let's say that you're, you you want to try flipping houses, <clears throat> and you try that and you're not very good at it, I, maybe you don't go all in because that may not be the thing that you should be going all in on. But if you try flipping a house, if you try wholesaling, if you try house hacking, maybe a little bit of short-term rentals... I think it's at that point you can say, man, I didn't realize this, but I'm really good at wholesaling. That's when you go all in, right? Like, I think you have to be willing to try a few things and not be so locked into the thing that you think you want, because very rarely is that the thing that actually works out. So that's kind of like my general approach for getting into this is like, try a little bit of everything. Some of these things are free. You can, Henry, how much would it cost if I wanted to get started wholesaling today? How much money would I need to to get? started to get started wholesaling you can get hard started wholesaling for free it's just going to spend a lot of time okay perfect low stakes so is that what we're saying someone who's working their day job they don't want to be in real estate professionally should start at wholesaling not necessarily i'm just giving an example here like try a few things because everyone thinks that real estate is high stakes like not every aspect of real estate there are ways that you can try your hand at real estate that's not like the riskiest investment of your life right that's what i'm saying and then in terms of like what expectations should they have? I think the expectations that they should have is that they, they're probably going to be working 80 hours a week for a while. Like, you know, we, the network that you're talking about that I have, the network that Henry has, and 
that is a network that we have built because we were working like 80, 90 hour weeks for so many years. I didn't quit my job, dude, until like two years ago, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like I've only had this magical network for two years and it's just because like, you know, like I put the, put in the work. But before that, I was working, I was going, taking calls in between meetings. I was like leaving work to go like do a contractor call, whatever. I was doing so much stuff at work, taking calls at nights, missing dinners, doing all that type of stuff. So I think the expectation is there's still a lot of work that you have to do. It will never be an easy route to get started, but dang it, is it worth it? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think I think to add a little bit more color to that, you know, I do, I still believe it, but a good deal is the, is the best way uh, to go, and so finding that good deal. But I think part of the reason that people are struggling with um, figuring out how to be a, a lucrative investor in this market is more about like how much of that work are you willing to put in because anybody can do this right now you can go and you can get on the mls in your local market and you can pull a list of properties that have been listed 30 days longer than the average days on market in your market right and you can get a list and you can go down that list and say you just only pull single families and you can go down the list, you can analyze every single one of those properties and figure out what's the number that this deal would work for me, right? And so if you know you want to buy rentals, you can go ad, uh, analyze each deal and say, all right, for me to get my 7% cash on cash return and $100 a door, then I have to be able to buy this property that's listed for $350,000 for $125,000. That's the number that works. And then you know what you do? You submit that offer, Right. If you did that for every single property listed for 30 days longer than the average days on market and every expired listing in your market, and you did that relentlessly consistently for the next 90 days, you'd probably land a deal. But nobody wants to put in that kind of work. Like people don't want to go do that work. That's a time consuming endeavor. You got to analyze a ton of deals. You got to make a ton of uncomfortable offers. You got to convince an agent to make those uncomfortable offers for you and then convince them why it's a good idea for them to do it. Right. So you really have to ask yourself, am I willing to put in the kind of work it's going to take for me to be successful in this kind of a market? Because you can go find a deal. You just got to be willing to get uncomfortable. And that's what people don't like doing. Boom, baby. But I will say, I do want to plug that in one of the previous episodes, we talked about, Henry talked about buying deeper. And so we're going to do an episode on how to get off market properties. Henry will take us through his strategy. So respond to the poll if you want to hear how we find off market deals. Leave a comment on YouTube and we're going to work on it for you guys. All right, Rob, where can people find out more about you? Uh, Rob on YouTube and Instagram. Henry Instagram. I'm at the Henry Washington on Instagram. And I am David Green 24 with an E at the end of green. Do you guys have your blue checks yet? Oh, yeah, baby. You know, I do make sure it's got a blue check because we have a lot of fake people that are uh, mimicking us trying to take your money through scams of a crypto nature. And we don't want you to fall for that. So I'm David Green 24 on YouTube and on pretty much all social media. Send us a DM if you have any questions and if you like this show, if you like the straight shooting, if you like the no BS, no fluff, we're giving it to you like it is, and we're giving you examples of what we're doing to make deals work, would you please go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the show. All right, I'm going to get you guys out of here. Thanks so much for joining me. We went into overtime today, sticking with the basketball analogy, but we hope you gave you guys a great game. This is David Green for Henry Relentless Pursuit Washington and Rob, the Papa Doc of Freestyles on the solo. <laughs> Signing out. 
The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.